As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. Hey, sorry about that. Man, I'm, I'm running a little late. As some of you guys know, I teach over at Wheaton, and then I just, I was thirsty, so I stopped and got a shake. And at my favorite place, Shake Shack. Anybody been there? So I, I kind of veered off and got a little shake. And man, doesn't that look good? It's a good chocolate shake. I figured I'd need a little snack before this 11 o'clock service. Sorry I didn't get you all one. But if you've ever had these shakes, anybody had them? They're fantastic. I mean, I've tasted every kind of kind. I got the chocolate right here. I mean, this one is looking good. I can hardly wait to dive in it. But what if I did this? What if I took some vinegar. And before I took a sip of the shake, I just, I just splashed a little vinegar in there and just mixed it all in. And then what if I did this? What if I took a little, I don't know, just a little cooking oil and, and I, just, I just put just a tad of cooking oil into my shake and just, just mix it up. And then I, everybody loves a little hot sauce, right? I mean, what if I took, I mean, this is red hot. This is the good stuff. What if I took this hot sauce and poured it into the shake and stirred it all up. Question, what did I do to the shake? Uh, I ruined it. I mean, I wrecked it. I took a good thing and I just, it, I made it an awful thing that I wouldn't want to drink. Listen closely. That's what we can do to the gospel. We can take things that don't belong and try to mix it into the gospel to make it better. And it makes it unsatisfying. It makes it, I would argue, in this case, unhealthy. It makes it unholy. It takes away from what God has done. That's what I want to talk to you about. Hey, open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. That's what Paul writes about next. He talks about the fact that some were doing this. They were adding things to the gospel that didn't belong. And that's what I want to talk with you about. If you're here for the first time or maybe you're joining us online, I want to just welcome you. We're in a series. It's called Guilt-Free Christianity. And we've been talking about the nine steps. We're walking through this letter. We're walking through chapter by chapter, verse by verse, word by word. And we're identifying nine steps to freedom in Christ. We've gone through steps number one through four. Pastor Craig presented step four last week. Did he do an awesome job or what? I mean, it was fantastic. His teaching, Jody and I, we were away. We were um, off uh, in Florida, just you know, hanging out for a little bit. We were watching it, and I was just so thankful and so encouraged by the teaching of God's word as we make our way through this letter. He covered step four. I want to cover step five. Step five is unveiling the mystery of the gospel. And how I want to do that is I want to give you what I'm calling four transformational truths to just unveil. And these are more than truths. Transformational is that they're life-changing, that we can unveil the gospel. And God wants to change you from the inside out as a result of the gospel. And why? We, we don't have to add anything to it. That's what Paul was writing against. That's why he got his pen and wrote the letter. Don't add anything to it. It's good on its own. We don't need these other things. 
So let's begin. First transformational truth to unveil the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel is that we are saved by grace, not works. We're saved by grace, not works. I don't know about you, but I feel like I've been saying that over and over again each week. Pastor Craig, let's just give him another hand. He did an awesome job explaining that, did he not? Okay, let me teach you something. When I say give him a hand, I mean, he's, he's in desperate need of some encouragement today. Could you please give it to him? There you go. But seriously, it's like he taught it last week. I'm teaching it this week. We taught it for the rest of the steps. It's like every week we're saying the same thing over and over like a broken record. Why? Because that's what Paul was doing. That's all chapters one, two, and three are about. He's like, it isn't about what you do, D-O. It's about what's been done. It isn't about adding anything to the gospel. It's about keeping it pure and simple, what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And it's not about works. Hey, we had some great baptisms today, did we not? Nobody said in that tank that they're came to Jesus as a result of what they do and good works. No, it's what Christ has done. So that's what Paul, he just keeps saying it and saying it and saying it. And you may be sick of it. I am too, but they weren't getting it. And I want to make sure you get it. That's why he starts off in chapter three, verse one. Look what he says. He comes at him, strikes, says, oh, foolish Galatians. He says, who's bewitched you? I mean, He's coming after him with both barrels. Now, Bewitched, it, it's not referring to that TV show in the 60s and 70s. It's not. It's not even referring to that movie in 2005. I guess nobody saw that movie with the same type name. It's not even referring to what? It's not referring to the new show with the same title on Tabitha that's coming out on Sony. I mean, does anybody have a good new idea for a television show these days? It's not referring to any of that. It's not referring to something like that. Paul's doing this. He's saying, who's fooling you? Who's, let's use an old school term, who's hoodwinked you? I I mean, you are being fooled. They were being fooled. That's why he says foolish. If we double click on that term in its original language, foolish doesn't mean you're stupid. Foolish doesn't mean you're an idiot. No, No, foolish means that you've become spiritually dull. That, that for some reason you're buying into something that spiritually speaking, you're not as sharp as you were. And so Paul's like, you've been foolish. And then bewitched, it literally means to put a spell on. That's what it means in the original language. And so they were being fooled by a works righteousness, by a works salvation that these Judaizers, as they are called, They were trying to say that it's the works of the law that that makes you righteous and holy and justified before God. Not just by grace, through faith. And so again, Paul is like, you can see his heart because his heart is for them. He doesn't want them to be fooled. So what he does is he rifles these questions at them. And so this letter that's It's filled with all kinds of things. Chapter three, he just rifles these questions. Look what he says. He says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Answer, it's hearing with faith. It isn't the works of the law. It's not what we've added to the gospel. 
they were adding things like circumcision. They were adding the Mosaic law that we had to adhere to what Moses had said. No, no, it, it's, you received it by hearing with faith. Interestingly, don't miss this. I highlighted in yellow. He says the spirit, you received the spirit. That's capital F. Four times he uses it in chapter three. He mentions the Holy Spirit, the Spirit being the third person of the Trinity. And he mentions it 18 times in this letter. Counted them out this week. May have missed one, but 18 times. Why is he referring so much to the Spirit? Well, it's because the Spirit is God's help to us. The Spirit is what convicts. The Spirit is what teaches the Spirit is what comforts. Jesus said in John chapter 14 through 16, which is the most comprehensive teaching in the entirety of the New Testament on the Holy Spirit, he said the Spirit is going to bring to remembrance things that you've forgotten. Why? So that we're not spiritually dull, so that we understand the fullness of the gospel. And he's like, it's the Spirit that leads, convicts, and comforts. And it's God's Spirit. We can't do it without him. We need God's help. Amen? Amen? We need his help. And then third question. He goes after him. He says, again, he says, are you so foolish? Second time. He says, having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So what he's saying is we came to Christ by grace through faith, and we understand that, but then in order to change, in order to become like Christ, in order to become holy, then we started to work. We think it's about the law and it's about doing these things, that that's going to perfect us. No. We've talked about this already in this series. Paul talks about it throughout the letter. We're saved by grace and we're sanctified by grace too. We're sanctified, meaning we are becoming like Jesus in character and conduct. That's what sanctification is. And it's by grace through faith. And then the next question, look what he says next. Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. And so Paul's making it clear. He's like, man, we've been through a lot. We've been through a lot. The Judaizers are coming strong. They're saying we got to do all these other things. And, and we're suffering as a result. There was... Some who had died already, been, they'd been, they had been put to death because of what they believed about Jesus. And he's saying, is this suffering in vain? Paul himself would die for the gospel, for the purity of the gospel. Did he do it in vain? Of course not. And then lastly, look what he says next. And this is a test. Does he who supplies the spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to you, and works miracles. Think for a moment about the miracles that God has performed in you. Think for the moment for about the miracles that God has done in this church. Can we praise God for the miraculous hand that he has on your life and in our church? And, and he says, who is it that supplies the spirit and works these miracles among you? You do so by, which is it? Works of the law or by hearing with faith? You tell me. It, it's hearing with faith. I mean, that's what it is. It's by faith, these things. So Paul, he's coming at him with both barrels to make sure the purity of the gospel, that we don't add anything to it. You say, well, geez, I, I mean, I kind of know that. 
Why does he keep saying it over again? Well, because they kind of knew it too. And the truth of the matter is, the people that you will lock eyes on this afternoon, who if you go out to lunch, the people who you will lock eyes on tomorrow at work, maybe who sit at the cube next to you or at school, the truth of the matter is, most people don't recognize and realize that it's by grace you've been saved through faith. They think it's a result of works and what I do. And so what Paul does next, I mean, he's just talking to them and telling them, trying to make sure they understand. And so I want to show you what he does throughout the New Testament. He teaches the same truth. And so let me give you three scriptures that we need to have in our holsters that we need to be ready for. And the first one comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. And this scripture, this is the one that tells us when do we receive the Spirit of God? Paul makes it clear. He says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, that's the good news of your salvation, and believed in him. Notice what it says next. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So we receive the Spirit of God when we believe at the moment of conversion. It's as soon as you make the decision for Christ. You may not recognize it. You may not even feel it, but God has deposited his Holy Spirit in you. The guarantee of his inheritance that God's going to do what he's going to do, and God's going to complete the work in you. That's what we receive at conversion. We don't receive just a little bit. We don't just receive it days or weeks later. No, I've often heard it said, and I've said it myself, that it's not that we need more of the Spirit. The Spirit needs more of us. Amen? Amen. That we would surrender ourselves to God. And so here's the next verse. This is probably the one that in 20 years of teaching here at High Point, I've quoted this probably the most. For by grace you've been saved through faith. That's it. It doesn't say works. No, it says just the opposite. It says, and this is not your own thing. Hey, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. No one's going to be in heaven saying, hey, I concocted my own version of what it looks like to get myself here. No, it's by grace. Praise God for the grace that was reflected on the cross as Jesus did the work that we couldn't, as Jesus, the perfect and holy sacrifice, went to the cross. The scripture says he was despised by men, and he went to the cross and suffered a death that he didn't deserve so that we could experience life. Next scripture, you say, I know that. Well, let's get a little deeper. Because Paul keeps talking about this. Let me give you the scripture in Titus chapter 2. Make sure you understand this. He talks about what the grace of God does. Again, I feel like a broken record. The grace of God, here it is, he tells Titus, has appeared bringing salvation for all people. All people, I love that. No matter the color of your skin, no matter where you were born, no matter what side of the tracks you live on, no matter what your W-2 says, no matter anything, no matter anything, get the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, and the grace of God has done this. It's training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age as we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what is it that saves us? The grace of God. What is it 
that sanctifies us, that changes us. It's the grace of God. It's the same. Here we see it. It isn't about our efforts and what we add and what we do. Well, are you telling me now that I don't have any stake in this and that I don't have to do anything? I didn't say that. A lot of people, and please hear me, hear my heart. People say, well, I got to recommit myself to Christ. I got to change. I want to I recommit. And, and nowhere in the scripture does it say that we're to recommit. What it says, Jesus says, we're to surrender ourselves. So yes, you have a part that we would surrender more and more of ourselves to him. Every area and every aspect of our lives that we would surrender. And that what? That his grace would manifest itself and that he would train us and he would guide us and he would lead us. So that this verse can be true in us that we're saved by grace and we're sanctified by grace as we continue to give all of ourselves to him. Second transformational truth. The mystery of the gospel is that we inherit the fullness of God's blessing by faith, not by works. Again, same message. It's by faith that we receive the fullness. You heard me right. The fullness of God's blessing. I think that some of us, many of us, we're leaving some blessing on the table. Grant me some liberty here to explain what I mean. Like God wants to bless us more and we're leaving it on the table. Are you hearing me? It's just like he wants to bless us for our obedience. And he wants to bless us because obedience brings blessing, disobedience brings curse. And so he wants to bless us, but we think to ourselves, well, that doesn't sound, is that really true? And, and we leave some blessing on the table. In this next section of scripture, Paul's going to explain to us why God blesses us. But first, he starts with Abraham. And so he starts by telling us about the father, the patriarch of the Jewish nation. And so he begins, before we get to the blessing, I want to get to that. He says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So he's saying, hey, Abraham didn't get saved by the law or Abraham didn't get saved by works. He didn't add anything. It was by grace, just like you and me. That's the promise that he was received. And it hasn't changed. It's true of Abraham, it's true of you and I. That's why he says, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Let's hold on that term for a moment. I'll come back and explain that. He said in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that means to make them holy, to justify them, just as if they've never sinned. He would bring them by faith. Again, not works. And he said, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Let me unwind this. Follow the bouncing ball. He's talking about the truth that Abraham believed God and it was given to him as righteousness, right standing before God, just like you and I, that it hasn't changed. But then he says Abraham was the one who was given the promise. And so if you grew up in church, you'll remember that Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, he was given the promise that God was going to bless him, that he was going to bless him. It says that he was going to give him as, as many descendants as was the sand on the seashore, as many stars as are in the skies, that he was going to start a nation through him. That was the promise that he gave in Genesis chapter 12. That's what Paul's referring to. 
And so we, we are sons of Abraham, and that what? That he's our father, that God, he chose a people. He chose the nation of Israel, especially with what's happening in the newspaper today, with what's happened and transpired that we've seen yesterday and the day before, that Israel is God's chosen people. He's chosen them. He revealed himself to them. He built a nation through them. And we as Gentiles are being grafted in. God has a plan for Israel. Let me help you understand that they are waiting for the Messiah. They are waiting when we recognize the truth that the Messiah has come. Amen? He's Jesus. And, and so God's people, they've, they've rejected the Messiah. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 9 through 11, and his heart bleeds for the nation of Israel. And so that's why we're for Israel. They are God's chosen people. God showed up and delivered them and, and worked so many miracles through them. But you say, well, I'm not a son of Abraham. Well, that's what we are. If, if we believe that, that, that God brought forth the miracle through Abraham. Now, you may be sitting here saying, well, son of Abraham, I, well, it, what, about, I, what about the daughter? I mean, is, is, is the Bible against women? Is that like, how come there's no daughters being mentioned here? Just hold on to that thought for a moment because we need to put our sandals on. We need to think through the cultural context. And so when Paul is writing this letter and he says, sons of Abraham, the reason he's doing that is because, yes, he's talking about Abraham, the father of the nations. Sons of God, he'll say it next. The reason he does it, did it is because in their day, the women, the daughters, they would not receive the full inheritance. It was the son that received the full inheritance. The ladies, they only received a partial inheritance. So when we read sons of Abraham, they read sons in the original context. They recognize, oh no, that means we get the fullness of God's blessing. So when we read it today, we receive the fullness of God's blessing, whether we're a son or a daughter in him. Amen? We receive his fullness, the fullness of the blessing. Why? Glad you asked, because that's where Paul goes next. And so let's look at verse 10. He gives us the first reason. We're blessed because we're not relying on works of the law to be saved and sanctified. I mean, do I need to say it again? Come on, tell me. You, do we understand? It's like it's not the works of the law. It's by grace. That's why he says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. He says, for it is written, cursed by everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Second thing. Look at verses 11 and 12. We're blessed because we're walking by faith, not sight. That's what he says. The righteous shall live by faith. So we're walking by faith. We can't see all the blessing that he wants to bring. We can't see all the results of the decisions that we're making for him. Hey, some of us, God's calling you to take a step of faith, and you don't know where it's going to go. He's calling us to change jobs. He's calling us to make a financial decision. He's calling us to get involved in ministry. He's calling us maybe to all kinds of different things, maybe to be more generous with our time and our talents and our treasure. And, and it's by faith. It's not by sight. We do it by faith, and we're blessed as a result of that decision. Next, we're blessed because Christ redeemed us at the cross. That's what the scripture says. 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. I mean, I can't comprehend it. I don't totally understand it. But the scripture says that Christ became sin on our behalf. That means that he took the full wrath of God. Every bad decision that you've made, every wrong choice, everything you've done that is contrary to the teaching of God's word, it was all put on Christ, past, present, and future. And so he paid the price that we couldn't, that, that it's by grace. And Paul's saying, if we try to add anything else to that, our own efforts, you know what we're really saying? We're saying that his sacrifice wasn't good enough. I, I would never say that. We're saying that his sacrifice is incomplete. God, we would never say that. He redeemed us. To redeem, it literally means to be brought back. You've been brought back from death to life. Did you hear me? From death to life. It means to be brought back and bought back. That he paid that price with the precious blood of his son. We've been redeemed. We're blessed, and we've been redeemed because of the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. Next, Paul's just going through the blessing. And so let's not leave it on the table. Let's make sure we're experiencing the fullness of God's blessing. We're blessed because the Spirit of God is in us. We need to listen to that quiet, still voice. We need to follow God's Spirit. That's why it says, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. And then finally, in verse 15, or no, that's it. Those are the blessings. Let's put the next screen up for a minute, though, because I want to ask you this question. Like, that's not enough? Like, that's a pretty good list, isn't it? Like, that's the blessing that we receive. But, but let me explain to you that there's more, that God's word teaches that there's more. Here's just a few of my favorite ones. Here's the top five blessings of being saved and sanctified, not by works, but by grace, it's the blessing of God's presence, that God is with us. The scripture says, fear not, for I am with you. No matter the crisis, the difficulty that you're walking in today, God is for you. God is with you. God's presence can be sought. How about this blessing? The blessing of God's word, that, that we have God's word with us to encourage us, to strengthen us, that, that God's word is to feed us so that we can get through the difficult times, so that we can do the things that God asks. God's word gives us freedom. How about this? The blessing of God's people. In 2 Corinthians, he paints this beautiful picture. It says that he who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we are comforted by God. So what he's saying is that you're going through a difficulty and God comforts you, not just so that you could be comforted, so that you could be a comfort to other people. And so the idea is biblical community, that we have the blessing of God's people, that we can be in community together. But listen, please, everybody's searching for community. People want to find community. Do you agree with me? People want to find it. They're like, I want to find community. I mean, uh, my wife and I, we do a, a spin class on, on Monday mornings and 9 o'clock and over at the health club over here. And, and we go to this class, and there's 40 people in there. I'm one of three men and the rest women. It's very embarrassing. And, but they're, they're all looking for community. 
I mean, people are looking for community in all kinds of spaces and all kinds of people because we've been made for it. We desire it. But listen, please. Community isn't found. Community isn't found. It's not like you're going to find community. Community is built. Community is built over time as we work together and as we get involved in ministry. That's how you get community. You don't just stumble across it. It's built as we build together God's kingdom. And that's what Paul says next. Look at the fourth thing, the blessing of God's gifts. God's given each of us a gift. It says in 1 Peter 4, for the building of his kingdom. And lastly, how about the blessing of God's love and compassion? Psalm 86 tells us that God is merciful and gracious, that he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. These are blessings from Almighty God that I want to make sure you don't leave any on the table that we experience the fullness of God's blessing. That's what the gospel brings. The scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good, that we would taste and see and receive his goodness and grace. Next, after we look at these blessings, how about this transformational truth? The mystery of the gospel is that Jesus forgives us of our sin. He forgives us. That's what the cross is all about. I've already tipped my hat to it. We've already described it. But Paul goes into greater detail now. And if we aren't careful, we can have what I call a hermeneutical headache at this point in the message. Because as we read through this chapter, chapter 3, it contains a lot of truth. And so what Paul does next in verses 15 through 22, is he explains that just like we make a covenant or a commitment with one another, we make a commitment. We're not supposed to break the commitment. I mean, our word is supposed to be good. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. And so he's comparing the covenant that he made to Abraham to a covenant that we make to one another, that God's not going to break his covenant. Again, it can get pretty theologically deep right here. And so he uses Abraham as the example that Abraham, he was saved by grace, not works. That it wasn't the law that saved Abraham. When you read through this chapter, you'll see he says that the law came 400 years later. So how could Abraham be saved by the law that he didn't have the law? He's saved by grace, just like you and I are saved by grace. He's redeemed as he looks forward to the coming Messiah. We're redeemed and forgiven as we look backward to what Jesus Christ did on the cross. So why then the law? I'm glad you asked. Because let's dig in now. That's what Paul answers. He gives two specific reasons in the text. Isn't it good to study the Bible together? I mean, it's not easy. You've got to work through and you've got to understand. He gives two reasons buried in here. Why then the law? Well, in verse 19, he says it was added because of our transgressions. Hey, turn to your neighbor and say, you're a sinner. Go ahead, just point at him and say, you're a sinner. Because you know what? They probably sinned against you this week, and that's what they did. I know there's some stuff going on. Now turn to your neighbor now and say, but I am too. Because we're all sinners. I mean, each one of us has sinned, and we have disappointed, and we have let God down. We have sinned against each other, and we've sinned against God. So why the law? Well, the law was given because of our transgressions. 
until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, until the promise of Jesus would come and be fulfilled through Abraham. That's what he's teaching. It was added because you and I sin. You and I do wrong. That's what the law was brought to show. But then the second reason is that the law was our guardian until Christ came. Any school teachers in the house? Come on, any school teachers? You know what it means to teach. Yeah, come on, man. It's a yes, they are. And you know what it means to teach and to train and to help students to see. Well, the law, and I love another version that says it's like our schoolmaster. So the law is helping us. The law is our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So let me explain. I've been thinking about this a lot. The law is like a mirror. That's what it is. The law is a mirror. And so as we look at ourselves, it reveals something about us. What does the law do? It's, well, what does a mirror do? It, it, if I'm looking in a mirror, I can see, oh, I've got a hair out of place. And so the mirror doesn't fix the hair out of place. Do you get what I'm saying? And it, it's, you're not going to use the mirror to fix your hair. No, the mirror just reveals that there's a problem. It doesn't fix the problem. As I look in the mirror now, I can see that I don't have a hair out of place, so I'm okay. That was a joke. What else is the law like? Now, the law is like a ruler. I mean, let's make sure that we understand. It's like a ruler. And what do we use a ruler for? Well, we use a ruler to measure. And so we can measure a piece of paper. And so we can measure a piece of paper so that we can cut a piece of paper if we're making a craft. Why the law? Well, it's, it's, like, it's like a ruler because we can use a ruler or a tape measure to measure a piece of wood if we want to build something. And so we make a cut. The ruler or the tape measure, I know it sounds simplistic, it doesn't cut the wood. It doesn't cut the paper. It just measures and tells you where you're at. The law? How about this one? It's like this. It's like an MRI. Anybody been one through one of these recently? I mean, I've been through one. I had a little issue with my leg, just all honesty. And, and you know, I don't know about that thing. You know, have you been in one? The sound, it's just reverberating. It's just like it's buzzing. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, like with all the modern advancements, we can't solve that problem pumping some music or something. I mean, they're just beating your head against the wall in there. And I'm thoroughly believed that the doctors are just doing that. They could solve it, but they want to drive you crazy. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I, the, the MRI, it only told me what the problem was with my leg. It didn't fix it. Like the MRI can't fix it. And so the law, it can only point out what the problem is. It isn't providing the solution. The law is the schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. And the law, it doesn't, it just shows us a problem. But we can't embrace the solution until we recognize there is a problem. The solution is a man named Jesus who came 2,000 years ago. And Paul's explained it already that he went to the cross to fulfill the promise that was made to Abraham that God would bring a people to himself. That was the reason for the law. And I find it interesting, if you read through Exodus chapter 20, when the law was given, the Ten Commandments, and then what did Moses do next? It says right in Exodus 20 that he went and he built an altar. Why did he build an altar? Because he knew they were going to break the commandments. Just like you and I break God's rules and what his desires are. We don't do what he says. And so the commandments are there to show us there's a problem, to point us in the direction of Jesus. 
and so that we could admit our sin and we can confess. You've been given a cup on your way in. And so I'm just going to ask you to pull that out right now. If you just go ahead and pull that communion cup out. And I'm not asking you to take it right now, but I want you to take a moment and and I'd, I'd like you to do this. I'd just like you to hold that communion cup in your hands. And so So this is the sacrifice. This is why the the bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for you. The cup, it represents the blood that was shed on your behalf so that we could receive forgiveness. And so when you're comprehending and thinking about that, I want you to take this, even while I'm teaching, and just to be reminded of the blessed sacrifice that God gave his son. That's the reason why we were given the law. That's what the gospel is. It's to point out the problem that only Jesus can solve. That that when you're ready, take the cup, take the bread, and just any time between now and the end of this message, and, and just take a moment and thank God for the sacrifice that was given for you, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, the mystery of the gospel, is that Jesus forgives our sin. Amen? I'm going to invite the worship team up and I want to give you the last transformational truth is as you're thinking about what Jesus did as you hold this cup in your hand and as it becomes a more of a reality to you and maybe you're wondering or saying to yourself, I don't even know if I'm a Christian. Well, if that's you and if you're not sure of your salvation, you can at this, even at this moment, you can, you can come to faith in him. All you need to do is admit that you're a sinner and believe that Jesus came for you and confess him as your Savior and Lord. Surrender yourself to him. And and God, God will give you his spirit. God will come to live in you. God will make the changes in you that you cannot make yourself. God will forgive us of our sin as he redeems us. And the last transformational truth, the mystery of the gospel is that we're adopted into God's family. And I love the way Paul puts it next, if we can put those verses on the screen, because we've been adopted. And so many of you know, I know a little bit about adoption. And so I was adopted as a three-month-old, and I was adopted by Jim and Helen Zappia, and I'm so thankful for them. I like to say it like this. I I started at second base. Like, I started in a good place, man. They gave me every advantage. I mean, they loved me and cared for me. I don't know what would have happened to me if they didn't come and adopt me. Who knows what would have happened? I was given, they gave me every advantage. They loved me so greatly. But just as I was loved and given every advantage, you're a son or a daughter in Christ. And so you've been given every spiritual advantage all the blessing because of the gospel. That Look what he says. Paul makes it clear. There's neither Jew. There's no Greek. There's neither slave. There's no free. There's, there's no male. There's no female. For we are all one in Christ Jesus. Now he's, he's just making it clear that all of us, no matter our background, no matter where we've been, that we are one in Christ. The family of God. You've been adopted into his family. Here's the transformational truth. I'll put them up one more time. And so if we look at these truths together, these transformational truths, you'll notice they're all in the we. They're in the plural. And so if you've been paying attention in this series, we're kind of ending each message the same way. And Paul talks about us as a family that, yes, we've been saved by grace, not works. Yes, we inherit the fullness of God's blessing. Yes, Jesus forgives us of our sin. And yes, 
We're adopted into the family of God. But now I want to make it personal. And so I want to end the message with just one sentence. And so this is the entire message. When I unveil the mystery of the gospel, I'm adopted into God's family. Amen? We're adopted in his family to receive the fullness of God's blessing because my sin is forgiven and, and I'm saved by grace. So take a moment if you haven't already and take the elements with me. And when you're ready, let's stand and worship.